G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I've got an exciting episode for you. What episodes are not exciting, I ask? But in this episode, I'm going to go through the top 10 things that hold investors back from building a larger portfolio. So the majority of investors only own one to two properties. And when I go deeper and I'm chatting to clients and thinking about my own journey so far, I notice some common challenges that often get investors stuck. And the difference between those that go onwards and more successful is that they've learned to overcome the challenges. I'm going to give you my tips for each of them. And it's not because I haven't faced them, it's because I have faced many of, if not all of them, and I continue to come up against new ones. So hopefully this helps your journey. Let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here's your host, Jared Mann. I'm not sure if you've seen the various stats, but they show that around 70% of property investors only own one property. And further to that, over 90% own two properties or less. It's a pretty crazy number when you consider all the property investors and the various stages they're at and there'd have to be a lot of them in the baby boomer generations that are nearing retirement. And from what I've seen, this stat definitely carries true with our uh, portfolio of owners too. So we've got 770 owners that we manage properties all across Perth for, and the vast majority, at least 80 80 to 90%, would only own two or less. So buying something (laughs) is certainly better than buying nothing. And if you're listening to this and you have taken action, you certainly need to be commended because there's still many, many other people that don't even start their journey and don't even own one investment property. But when you do the numbers on how much of an asset base you're actually going to need to give you any kind of reasonable passive income when you get to retirement or earlier, for those of us that are ambitious, Most people arrive at needing three to six properties minimum with little debt owing on each. And that's kind of basing off the average rent might be $400 a week. That's 20 grand a year from the average property. Of course, if you buy higher priced properties with higher yields, then you may need to own less. It depends on the passive income that you want to create. So that's how we arrive at, you know, three properties is going to get you roughly 60 grand a year. Six properties, roughly 120000 a year. And, of course, if you scale up the, the value or scale up the income on a property, then you're gonna, you, you may need to own less. But we at least need to aim for three to six with minimal debt on them. So when you start working on your investment portfolio and building this, it takes a lot of thought. It does take energy and Regardless of where you're at, you're going to face challenges. And even if it's smooth sailing initially, you're going to hit some various challenges along the way. And from what I've seen, it's how we handle these challenges as they come up 
that'll determine whether we continue to grow our wealth and at what sort of pace and whether we're ultimately going to buy the properties necessary to set ourselves up for a decent passive income later. So why is it that most investors get stuck at one to two properties? And what are some of the things that you can think about to overcome these challenges? As I go through the list of the most common things I've seen, I've created a list of 10. Rate yourself as I go and focus on improving any of the areas that might be holding you back. And we always have a bottleneck, right? So one one area is likely to be holding us back more than others. When we solve that, another one will probably come up. And playing this game of investing is what I get an absolute kick and enjoyment out of. So when you can turn the game around and get a real kick out of solving problems and challenges, I guess I wouldn't be in property management solving problems all day for hundreds and hundreds of people if I didn't like solving problems. Maybe that's the engineer in me. So hopefully this is of value and don't think that I'm saying I've solved all the problems and look at me. I face these problems, some of them right now, some of them I've definitely faced in the past. And when I look through the list, I've at one stage or another faced all of them. So number one, and I had to put it first, was not having a plan. And you hear various other experts talking about not having a plan too. And when I was younger and starting out in investing, it's hard because you don't even have the knowledge and experience to even think about what is a good plan or how to create a plan. And that's why it helps to get those that have gone before you to lay out a path and to model other experts that you connect with. Take everything with a grain of salt, see if it fits your situation and don't take their goals as your own, but really think on, first of all, what sort of passive income you want to have and by when. And for me, I've laid that out in three stages so that I'm trying to get to a first stage by a certain age and then the next stage by another age and so on. As I move towards retirement, I want various levels of security and freedom provided by passive income. So it's really hard to go about achieving your goals or even trying to buy three to six properties if you haven't gotten really clear on that plan. So you have to do the thinking and it helps if you've got a good financial planner that you can use to project forward the numbers. And you may be surprised that you don't need to do as much or own as many properties as you think to end up with what passive income you're trying to create. So when you don't have a plan, you do all kinds of crazy things like buying the wrong properties that don't suit your needs because they're not aligned with an overall plan. And yes, it's hard to achieve goals that you haven't even set. So start with setting a plan. We've recorded other episodes early on in a podcast series on on this, I think it might be episode two or three to check out. Second one, bad at saving. Now, I know saving's not sexy, but I'm going to do a whole podcast episode on it coming up. And when you think about it, this is a real habit that you have to develop. And I was shocking at saving early on, and especially when I got my engineering wage to begin with, I wasted a lot of it for a few years, even though... I was looking at and getting involved in investing. The way I used to get around it was to get 
money partners. And so that was masking the habit that I hadn't formed on saving. I just used other people's money and rewarded them for being in the deal. So that is an option if financing is holding you back. But from my experience, it's like the, the, the classic lotto winner. So the lotto winner hasn't developed money habits. They, have a, they can't control and handle money. So they end up wasting it, not able to save it. They've got no rules in place for how, what they do with their money. They don't respect the money that they have. And this relationship that we develop with money is just so important. So my wife at times calls me uh, cheap and I prefer to call it frugal because I also like the finer things in life and love spending money on experiences and holidays and nice things. But I also try to save money and watch where we spend money because in running a business, especially in the last three or four years when the market was down, I had to get very, very tight on controlling money and knowing where every dollar spent and going through those incredibly difficult times that we faced when rents dropped 30% and my business profits were way down. That taught me so much about making every dollar go towards real purpose and not wasting any. So I'll cover a whole episode on saving and how to do it effectively and simply. But it's key to building deposits that you need to buy properties and also having other money to invest in other assets outside of property. So ultimately, you're trying to grow an asset base that returns you income And you've got to put money aside to do that. And so very often being bad at savings, a huge reason that people don't progress in owning more properties. Number three, and it's related to number two, is that finance could be holding them back. So very often when someone gets to two investment properties plus their home, they can hit a serviceability ceiling. So they might be maxed out because their property is overly negatively geared potentially or when you go deeper there can be some bad debts in their situation and a good finance broker will help you explore the differences in your borrowing power if you cleared up some of your bad debts and you really want to get to a situation where you've got no ongoing credit card debt you've got no car car loans or caravan loans or other toys loan you've got no consumer debt for the around the house items. You really want to clean all of that up and that will now enable you the greatest borrowing capacity that you can get. And then it helps, of course, if you look at other ways that you can earn income, progress in your job so that you can continue to increase your income and that way qualify for greater borrowing capacity too. So the other one I mentioned above was looking for a money partner. So perhaps if you hit the ceiling on your borrowing capacity and it's not likely to change soon, you could look at partnering with someone else that hasn't bought any properties yet. The loan could go in their name. Perhaps if you've already got the saving, then you can contribute the deposit. You go 50-50, share the upside. They, They couldn't do it without you and you couldn't do it without them. And that can be great, but it is hard to stay in alignment with a partner longer term. And I'm sure we'll do a whole episode on joint ventures down the track because I've done a lot of them. So finance, it's often said that 
investing in property is a game of finance with houses thrown in. And it might, I think it was Michael Yardney that said that, who's been on the podcast previously. It's so true. You need to get your financial house in order. And as uh, your equity gains grows in your properties and as your savings grow, then hopefully you're still able to service other loans. Um, and that may also mean, as I've discussed in a previous episode, pairing a more positive property, positive cash flow property with some of your negative properties, negative geared properties, so that you know, you've got a balance and you're able to borrow more. So number four, a short-term focus. Now, oh, I was guilty of this until I started to grow up and see things from a, a lot different perspective. And I think it was almost having a daughter three years ago has just opened my eyes to how much time is hopefully ahead and thinking more about generational wealth and how do I pass that down to her and ensure that it, my legacy continues on. So when you're focusing on the short term, you try to, I was trying to take over the world in a few years. And that can mean that you do one of two things. You can often burn yourself out because you're trying to do too much too soon and investing just becomes all too hard, especially if it's consuming your weekends and after hours when you're doing active projects. Or you can make rushed and wrong decisions because you haven't spent the time to learn and go through the cycles of the market and the cycles of doing your various projects. You're trying to do too much too soon and often in the short-term focus, you try to save money on using professionals and get yourself in a whole range of trouble because you don't yet know what you don't know. That's the sooner you start thinking much longer term, you buy better quality of assets, you don't take risks on tenants, you pay for advice because even small differences in performance over 20 or 30 years makes a massive difference. I've said in previous podcasts that if you can buy in a better suburb and just get 2% growth better per year on average, just 2%, you'll make an extra $1.1 million on the median house price on a purchase of a median house price over 30 years. So that's $1.1 million and just 2% difference in growth on average per year can make that sort of difference. So probably enough said on that one and it is hard to change your thinking on it, but hopefully I'm helping. Now with number five, poor timing of the market, I've certainly got this one wrong. And it's hard when you're starting out because you haven't seen the cycles go through. You may just think that everything's going to be going up forever. And it's also really hard to buy when everyone's fearful, but it's the best time to buy. So we had Tommy on talking about some of the deals he got over the last two, three years ago and how quickly prices have jumped up ahead by 100,000 on each of the properties he'd bought. Now, we all can't go back and do that. And I was in a pretty rough place with my business at that time too. So I didn't do many acquisitions then. And I wish that I could go back and buy more too. But I know that we've got two or three years ahead and I'll certainly be getting as many assets over the next 12 months still, not joining the party too late in two years' time or three years' time when most people in Perth will waken up to the fact that all these gains have happened 
And that's when they'll likely jump in. And you'd be surprised how many appraisals I do each week where the people have bought in either 2013-14 or 2015-16. And each person has paid the top of each of those little market peaks. And anyone else that has bought since then has done better when the market dipped. And just from timing the market, you can make an extra 10 to 20% in the shorter term. So not as critical longer term, because if you do take the longer term focus your and you buy a quality asset rather, then time in the market can correct many things. But poor timing of the market means that you don't get that equity boost or gain in the shorter term. So that means that you, you can't revalue and, and use that equity to buy again. So that can hold people back. And it's why you need to keep an eye on the cycles and where we're at. Keep listening to my market updates for those for input on that. Now with the number six in my top reasons, challenges that hold investors back from owning more properties, I've got asset selection. So I spend a lot of time in this podcast, you'd know if you're a regular listener, looking at how to select suburbs, how to select your area, how to select your property. I actually recorded a whole episode on that a few episodes ago, so check that out. And you can imagine if you get the the suburb wrong, the area wrong, and the property wrong, just how underperforming that investment's going to be. I'm not saying you need to get it all right. I certainly haven't. And asset selection can be a big key to just how much wealth you gain over the longer term. So I'll certainly keep coming to you with my ideas on how to do that better. We've had some other great episodes on buying in good school zones and buying near water and the ocean and just how diff- how much that can add up over the longer term. So number seven, chasing excitement. And I did an episode on that your investing should you should try to make it boring. But chasing excitement is certainly masks itself because you think that you're getting ahead, but chasing excitement, as I've covered in depth in that episode, you can end up selling assets when and being a lot more active in property and paying a lot more tax, but really not actually getting ahead, missing cycles because you're in and out and you're not actually in the market long enough to to see the upside. And you can do a lot of things like property development and subdivision when you might have just been better buying a more quality asset in a better area that was going to perform better and passively forgetting about it. So I'm all for subdivision and development when you're still focusing on the quality of the underlying asset and the location that that asset is in. So number eight was your reason why is not strong enough. Now, I must admit, this is probably the only one I've never had any problems with because I've got a burning desire to just keep growing and continually improving and being better than I was yesterday. And that stems from my childhood of feeling like we didn't have enough going along to recess and seeing all the other kids with their lunch bought from the canteen and I've got a Vegemite sandwich and an apple. Tough times, first world problems, I know, but it's that gave me an absolute burning desire. And my reasons, my reason why I do this has changed over the years too. I think I covered it in a lot more depth on our lifestyle design episode, which is one to go back and, and drill down on, on in this. 
But these days I I do what I do because I'm trying to create a future, a better future for my family. And also I get a huge buzz out of helping improve the lives of all of our clients. And I'd definitely come and do what I do, even if I didn't get paid just to do that. So I'm very lucky and I can help as many as we do. And I'm very grateful for my team as well and just helping them grow and seeing them grow. It's so awesome. So I've got certainly many reasons why. And if you're lacking motivation, tap into your reason why and find your reason why. So number nine, bad property management. I had to mention it because obviously early on in my journey, I had three or four bad property managers and and I nearly decided to hang my investing boots up and thought it was all too hard, especially when I went and interviewed countless property managers and tried to find someone that understood me as an investor and also had an exceptional service. And there was virtually none. There was, was none. I ended up managing my properties myself. It was hard to, to not have the, to be impartial and to keep on top of everything too when you don't have all the systems and everything. But I ended up finding a business partner and starting Investors Edge. And that's how we came about because of my frustrations of my property management. And from that day onwards, I've never managed my, any of my own properties. And we've got an amazing systems, an amazing team that keep on top of those things. And we're investors first, and we've designed everything to suit investors. So we're coming from an entirely different place. We want our property management to improve the lives of everyone we work with too. So it's just a very different experience to own an investment property when you're one of our landlords, because we want to give you and guarantee your peace of mind so that you're not having things continually coming up that that make you not want to own an investment property. And you'd be surprised how many people come to me as a salesperson and they're ready to sell their properties because of how bad their property management has been with other agents. Often I try to see if what's their real reasons for selling and if we could give them the property management they deserve would they keep their investment and did, does it make sense to keep their investment? And a lot of the time I'd talk them out of selling at that point if it's a sound investment and they don't have a strong, a real strong reason for selling. So get your property management right and everything else should be a lot easier. Now with number 10, I left this one for last because it's also held me back at various points and I'm probably going to do a whole episode on some of my top mistakes I've made my previous business partners used to say, Jared, you're really great at finding new ways to make different mistakes. <laughs> and uh, she'd say it tongue in cheek right in the middle of when I've just made a mistake. And it always at least made me feel better that I'd, I'd learn from my mistakes, which is an absolute key. So I am going to do a whole episode on how to handle mistakes and deal with the emotions and turn them into learnings instead of things that hold you back. But if you have made a wrong choice or potentially any of the above things, if you consider them to be a mistake in the past, I'd encourage you to just dust yourself off and regroup and take the learnings from that and choose again. So All of us as successful investors and business owners, like we just get really comfortable with making mistakes and making failures because in the real world, failures and mistakes are what teach us or can teach us. Whereas in the classroom and what we're taught in schools, 
is not to make mistakes and try to be perfect, but we certainly don't want to take that approach if we want to be successful. Now, finally, anyone that says they've not faced any of these challenges above would have not done any investing or done anything meaningful. So I continue to learn and improve my approach and and face these mistakes every day. And I'd encourage you to embrace the challenges, push through them, and reach out to me if I can help you with any ones that you're facing now. Thanks for joining me. 